And the Oscar goes to. And the Oscar goes to. Please be kind, especially when we don't know what's going on. So what I got? Movies are dreams that you never forget. Well, welcome to the watch list. We are back, and I guess we are really back because Laura Bennett is back. Welcome back, Laura. Thank you. So nice to be back on the podcast. Missed you. Missed chatting movies. It is definitely good to be here because this week is going to be packed. It is. It's an action-packed one, to say the least. And as we look at film through the lens of faith, we are kind of doing everything that we have to do with regards to turtles vigilantes and the latest female action stars so we're going to have quite a bit to talk about but i think with the first one we're going to be getting to is teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant mayhem and then do you want me to kind of share kind of set up this a little bit for, Go us? for it i want to hear Okay, so if you can believe it, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have been around since 1984, and so they have been fighting crime, they've been eating pizza and shouting cowabunga for decades now, and they've been kind of part of what we do as far as what, coming from comic books, moving into movies, if you can believe there's been seven films, um, either animated or live action, um, from the Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, and Raphael. Yes, I got them all. Well done. And um, this one is it kind of goes back to the beginnings where, where they are teenagers, and they we're finding them down in the sewers once again with their father's splinter. And this time, they're actually coming up against a new mysterious crime syndicate that's headed up by, get this, the Mutant Superfly. So uh, this is a, it's a fun one. And I think that it's a, it's a fascinating kind of return back to kind of the beginning and origins of the Mutant Ninja Turtles. Well, there's something that's always been so fun about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, not only because they bring so much nostalgia back for those of us who grew up watching some of the cartoons, but they kind of speak to teenage fun, youthful fun, and that adventure, and particularly the group of them all together, this this kind of like team spirit, not to be confused with (laughs) teen spirit, that comes from like the, the brotherhood. And it's not exclusively just for the guys, but it's like there's something kind of fun about the sibling identity in that as well, I think. Oh, truly. I mean, now I got I to ask you, have you been a fan? I mean, have you been a fan of them over the years? I mean, throughout the years, have you enjoyed the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at all? Absolutely. Like they're one of the ones that were so big in my childhood. And then I would say there's probably been, there's kind of been a gap and it was like they were just there in the pop culture, you know, library of things that we watched and enjoyed. But then when the um, the ones with Megan Fox came back in, the Michael Bay ones, that kind of, you know, reawakened a little bit of the sure. love of the turtles. <laughs> and then it's kind of, I would say, sort of down, but they're just those iconic characters that whenever they're back on the screen, whenever they're spoken about, there's going to be those of us that feel like an affinity and, and an excitement around them. Yeah, it is. And it's actually kind of fun even talking about it because we, we've been able to talk about it with some new a new generation that's kind of coming in and being introduced to the, the, the mutant t- Ninja Turtles and what they offer that's probably a little bit different. And I think that fun is definitely one of those. And, I, and that's one of the things coming out of this film that I found that it was finally good just to kind of have another film, a, a really good option for families overall. I mean, probably not the little, little ones, but this is definitely one that kind of goes to the teen. As you were saying, both boys and girls, men and women can really enjoy this. Also, what they do is they kind of lean into the nostalgia a bit in this one, where they even kind of go back and they kind of show some of the, in their heritage and kind of when they became teenagers, what that meant over the years. And so to even have Jackie Chan voicing Splinter was really even kind of a fun nostalgic turn for it too. So I found that really this was a, this is a great option for families, but then on top of it, 
it's a completely different style of kind of animation. So, I mean, in this kind of, when we live with Pixar and these perfect worlds of animation that almost border on looking like the real thing in so many ways, now to have, to go back to kind of what looks like a hand-drawn and also kind of almost kind of absurdist view of the world kind of fit this this whole thing. And so I, I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed watching it with my, my daughter and, and we kind of went along and really enjoyed the storyline so kind of getting reintroduced to him um so overall i think that it's it, it was a pretty fun adventure to say the least i think there's something in the spirit of these movies too that people really enjoy like when you think of in this in this one especially it's like these guys trying to find their place in the world if they were allowed to be who they truly are where would they fit and what would it look like if they could just be themselves and be accepted and it only occurs to me the more I think about it as well, that that the family that is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right. that is their dad, it's not it's not a traditional, you know, family model whatsoever. <laughs> it's a blended family. Right? Sure. And <laughs> as kids, we, you, when we watched this when we were little, you may not have really thought about that, but there was something that made it kind of acceptable to just be a big ramshackle bunch of everybody. Like you find family identity in who you are with, not necessarily like your biological family, which I feel right. like is a – that's actually something quite special to come from a movie, a movie that's aimed, yes, at teenagers where it's like you're not necessarily confined to the family, your family of origin in terms of where you find identity and where you can find purpose and how you can find a sense of connection. Oh, you know, I think you really nailed it. I mean, I think that one that's one of the big things because it really was pretty special. I think that they do almost better with this film than maybe some of the past films was they showed the fa- the value of the family and also the love of a father for his sons. You know, I mean, <laughs> a rat and some turtles. I mean, it is, you couldn't get more blended than that. But then on top of it, to go to the, really the teenager angst of wanting to be accepted within the community. So not only within New York City itself, but also even in the local high school and how these are teens and they just want to be a part of the teen scene, but they are definitely on the outer when it comes to kind of what that looks like and how it feels. And I think they handle it very well. I think I think it's written well. On top of it, um, you know, the April character isn't, she's kind of a nerd herself. And so she's kind of on the outer as well. And so it's all of them just wanting to be accepted within this community. And I think that it's something that I think a lot of people can be talking about. I think that's what I love about films like this, is that people afterwards could really be talking with their teens and their kids about what that means and where you find your identity. Do you find it in your friend group or do you find it in your family or do you find it with God? You know, there's all of these different ways that you're able to kind of do that. I think that that's what a film that I love about a film like this. And we haven't even mentioned that Seth Rogen's behind it. And he, (laughs) is it in the opening somewhere in the trailer for this? I think it is where it's basically like the never, like he's always a teenager, forever a teenager sort of a thing. He's self, he describes himself that way where it's like, he's not growing up. So he's going to make these movies that allow him not to have to grow up. Uh, truly, I think that uh, and you can kind of see kind of the energy and the spirit of that, uh, definitely of Seth and also the other producers, everybody that's been a part of it. You could tell everybody's just having fun with this. Yeah. You know, it, it is not one where they're trying to go over the top as far as trying to have this deep, meaningful thing, even though there are some meaningful elements, don't get me wrong, but it's still meant to be a comic book. It's meant to be teenagers. It's meant to be turtles and <laughs> it is meant to be just fun action. So, yeah. So I don't know. I, I, here's an interesting question for you. I mean, because 
because we kind of hit in about that three quarter mark of the year. It's it was one of probably my top family films. I mean, did you have well, looking back over back over some of the films we've had this year? Are there any top films that you would say you would recommend for families? There's hard to pick ones that stand out. Like I know we spoke a lot about Elemental, the Pixar one when it came out. Right. It for me, like it's probably a standout in terms of like strong, strong movies of that nature. But even it, I found quite intense at the time. Like there was a lot of things mm. that I thought these are big ideas for like younger audiences to be wrestling with around love and family and the responsibility that we can inherit from our parents and things like that. Like it was a very big, deep kind of movie and yet trying right. to talk to, you know, the younger demographic about it. But I think it has to be mentioned. Elemental would totally be up there for me, I think. Is there any that you would bring? Yeah, definitely. I, th- I felt that, uh, well, Elemental was definitely one of the top of my list. It's it, it's what's been fascinating to me, even with like my, with my grandkids, my kids, and also others, Super Mario Brothers still keeps coming up. I know it wasn't necessarily one of our favorites, no. but as a film, it has definitely been one that families have really gone back to, and it's become one of the top films of the year, hands down. I also really enjoyed um, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which I think kind of goes more into the category, say, that this movie... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles goes into as far as animated, but kind of more of your teen audience. But I think families and parents could really enjoy that with their kids, too. So it's really uh, I think that all, all in all, I think that those are some of the the top ones, even though, hey, you know what? I'm going to actually admit it. I enjoyed Little Mermaid. So I, 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 I'm going to actually <laughs> yes. say, I'm gonna say, you know, some people may still kind of push back, but I think it was really still a really good film. Yeah, I would like to change my answer and say that Little Mermaid, I think it <laughs> is one of the better ones. I don't know if I would say that it's necessarily like for families only or families specifically, but it right. was a genuinely it was a genuinely good, fun movie with a lot to enjoy, a lot of like positivity to bring to the cinema again. And also nothing that for me at least, it didn't make me like squirm or feel uncomfortable or like exactly. have something that you just had to kind of I don't know. It it was a movie that was accessible to everybody, I think is what I'm trying to say. I, I agree with you. I think that that's where all, pretty much all those films are. It is good to see that, and I hope that we actually see more films like that as we're coming up. Yeah. Now, the, the next film, I wouldn't necessarily put into this category, <laughs> even though we did get to see this one together. So I'm really curious, especially what your thoughts are on The Equalizer 3. So I don't know if you want to tell us a little bit about that one. Sure. So for what, I want to catch us up quickly, though, on this one, because it's, <laughs> so it stars Denzel, Robin, uh, Denzel Robbington. Rob. What am I saying? <laughs> Denzel Washington. It stars Denzel Washington as Robert McCall. If you've seen Equalizer 1 and 2, you know that he's synonymous with this kind of like vigilante justice but he's he's the kind of guy that wants to execute justice because he has sure. such a high moral compass and as someone who was in the DIA the defense intelligence agency he was a marine he's got that history but he's wanting to retire from that and finds himself as th- when this movie opens he seems to be like finishing off one final mission but then he gets wounded and then ends up in this kind of semi retirement in Sicily gets uh, connected with the local villagers there and then because of the relationship that he has with the locals, he then starts to find some new situations he needs to step into to exact (laughs) his own kind of justice to protect the locals. And if you didn't know already... This is the first time that Denzel Washington has ever done a franchise like this. So Equalizer exactly. 2 was his first ever sequel, making Equalizer 3 his first ever trilogy, and this is now this is now it done as far as we're aware. 
At least, at least, and that's probably one of the things that I really enjoyed about it, the fact that there's a finality, not a bad one, but a finality to it. I felt like that this is where it kind of ends. But I'm kind of curious, so did, did you enjoy the movie? I mean, have you kind of followed along in this whole trilogy, or is it one that you enjoyed? It's an interesting question because enjoy to me is such a yeah, yeah. difficult <laughs> word to use around a movie like this because it is so violent. Like if you're a, if you're it a is. fan it of is. these movies, even to me they kind of group with others like John Wick with the Taken franchise. They're very different in terms of the characters at the front of them, but it sits within that kind of thing, that kind of the person that's going to save the day, be forever invincible somehow and kill a lot of people in quite graphic ways along the way. So it's I'm not sitting there going, wow, I really enjoy this violence. Like, shoot another person, please. That's not what I'm thinking. But <laughs> no. I I was able to appreciate, weirdly, the craft of how they did it. I, that might sound mm. bizarre to say, but the way right. they did the coordination of the fight sequences, the way they pulled off some of the different exchanges, if you want to call it that, I'm sitting there going, that is horrifically violent, but how did you do that? As In terms right. of screen craft, how did you actually make that happen? Because I don't understand the physics of that and also how you visually brought it to life. So I admired the craft, if I can say it that way, but I did right. find the level of violence pretty confronting because the thing in a movie like this is that we're able to almost sit back from the reality of the situation because we know it's a movie, we know it's there for storytelling and a degree of entertainment. But if you in, at any moment thought, let me just translate this into the real world and imagine if this was actually happening, that is when it becomes completely psychotic and unattractive right. in every way. And there are like real life, you know, gangs and mafia and all of the stuff. So there are contexts where this sort of stuff probably exists to a degree, but in the form of a movie, in the form of entertainment like Equalizer 3, they do kind of set a new bar for how they deliver those kind of scenes. <laughs> That's true. I think Antoine Fuqua, who's uh, the director of this film, um, one of the things he's known for is doing more practical effects than, say, CGI. Because a lot of times in a lot of these films, they tend to go to the CGI to kind of allow them to kind of do some of the things that they do with, say, the violence and also kind of the grotesque nature of it. But he doesn't. He, it's all practical effects. Um, and so, and he and Denzel Washington have partnered on quite a few films over the years, going all the way back to like Training Day. Um, but I think I, I'm, I'm curious. I'd love to know what your, you know, of the of these franchises. Say, like you just brought up John Wick, Taken, and this one. Um, what kind of stands out? Because for me, the thing that really kind of helps this through, and actually, I think ended up making this almost the best of the trilogy, which is a rare thing. I think usually by the third one, we're kind of tired. the the, char the characters are kind of tired, but yeah, Denzel Washington. <laughs> The guy, even though it's his, fr it's a franchise and it's a known character, the guy has a charisma that is hard to um, really replicate in any other instance. And that he still manages to kind of carry this film and really kind of make you like him. You want to be around him. He's actually one of those guys you definitely want to be sitting in the cafe next to because you know, <laughs> you know, oh well, okay, we're at least we're okay. Robert's over there or Denzel's here, you know, kind of thing. So I, I absolutely think that that's one of the things that really kind of differentiates this from maybe other franchises is the Denzel factor is that he, he is just front and center, but, but, but one thing that's different too, is that he's vulnerable it, from the, from the beginning, it shows that he is just a man. He doesn't have a bulletproof suit that he gets to go through the streets, shooting other people. He's actually very vulnerable and almost near death. And so I found that that, 
there's a value to that. I think there's a depth of character that kind of went beyond maybe say what you'd get with John Wick and maybe even the Taken franchise up to a degree. But I mean, but all in all, I mean, I think they're all, they all kind of have their own thing if, if you want to. I know, but I, I'm curious, like what, which if you were, if you have a preference, do you even like any of these films or is it one yeah. that you go to see regularly? It's not the genre that I normally gravitate toward. I will tell you that much because right. it's, I don't, I do I do find the violence somewhat confronting because I for me I feel like I'm not fully desensitized <laughs> to somebody right. being completely obliterated and blood spurting across the screen. And should we ever be desensitized to that? No. Maybe maybe not. I don't know. But so for me I'm going oh like I don't, I don't want to necessarily sit there and feel kind of assaulted by that. So I wouldn't normally pick this as my movie to sit and watch, but I do find it I do find it interesting the reason why these kind of stories, these kind of characters are appealing. So that that I find quite interesting. And when you're watching Denzel on screen especially and his character, even if he doesn't say much, there is something so compelling about him and this idea, I think it's, like, without wanting to limit this purely to the male experience of watching this movie versus the female experience, but I do know there is a certain appeal to see a guy who seems to know how to navigate his way through the world with a really clear personal sense of justice and ability to be strong in situations where others might not be. He, it, You feel like there's a sense of like protection and authority in what he as a character chooses to do and what he does. But then, as you mentioned, there's a vulnerability as well. So it's this weird attraction that we have as viewers to that kind of person, someone that is always going to be able to find the way through, protect, somehow know the answer to our biggest questions and yet prove their own humanity in the middle as well. I find that a really curious thing to consider as to why are we drawn to that? Why do we want that kind of person in our corner? Why do we want to somehow feel like we could emulate them? And that's what appeals to me. When I watch John Wick, the fact that that essentially is about a man who had his dog attacked and had, you know, like lost the most important things to him. It's like there's a sensitivity that makes people bold in the things they feel conviction about. Like the reason sure. we want to fight for certain things is because there's something within us that that connects to. Like there's a reason that it gives us. So I I think if I was going to rank your Taken, your John Wicks, oh, your Equalizer, I like maybe John Wick is at the top because I think I just love his character and I love Keanu Reeves. I would then probably put Denzel Washington and then I would go Liam Neeson in Taken. That opinion may change at different points. Sure. But one thing I want to bring up about the equalizer that seems to make this kind of story okay. Because I'm always like, why are we fine with him like shooting people at point blank? But we're not okay with the mafia boss doing it. I right. think it's because they try to they try to connect someone like Denzel, someone like Robert McCall, to a moral high ground. So even though it's only done subtly in Equalizer Three, he opens his bedside table to get his watch, and there happens to be a Bible there. He goes out into you know the sort of um, village courtyard area within this village setting and he's looking up at the hill and there happens to be this white cross on the top of the hill and you can see that he's just kind of pondering that and they never really get down to the nitty-gritty of what his faith perspectives might be but I think they're trying to say here is a guy who feels like there's a higher authority that he somehow answers to or a higher reason that he's doing the things he's doing and that's meant to make us feel like we should accept a behavior that in so many other settings wouldn't be acceptable. 
Oh, I th- oh, I think that's brilliant. I think that what you're saying is spot on as far as why also a ap- ap- uh, character like this is so appealing. Um, because, I mean, if, if you go to see the film, there's this great dialogue where he's asked at the very beginning of the film, are you a good man or are you a bad man? And he says, well, I don't know. And that actually kind of makes it out to be, well, actually, a, a bad man would most likely say he is a good man. You know, so it's a lot of kind of that self-awareness that I really love. And I think that it, it gives us opportunity to discuss. And I think it does make this uh, character very appealing um, to a degree. And also there's a certain amount of justification for his form of justice in a way that goes beyond just a beautifully choreographed film like John John Wick. And then this one is just a little bit more raw and ready and gets kind of to the heart of just kind of being a guy who's just trying to make his way in the world in a very unique way. Um, it kind of reminds me of there's a film called Nobody that came out a few years ago that um, was uh, just very similar to this. And also just kind of that hey, kind of nor- normal looking guy, but actually he has kind of some skills that are worthwhile kind of considering. So yeah. anyway, so it's good. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The violence is over the top, but I probably would put it on my watch list. I still was surprised I because I didn't really like this franchise as much until this film. So I thought this one was the best of the three. Yeah. All right, so now we're moving to another side of the action sequence. So we move from The Equalizer 3 to a Netflix film that has kind of introducing a new kind of action hero, and that would be The Heart of Stone with Gal Gadot. Um, do you want me to set this one up? Sure, go for it. Okay. Okay, so with this one, we uh, we're definitely a very different character. Uh, we're dealing with Gal, Gal Gadot, if you know her from Wonder Woman fame. Um, she's on a team that's initially part of the MI6, which is in England or based out of the UK. And she's Rachel Stone, and she's kind of kind of behind the scenes and kind of does the tech stuff and is on this really kind of close-knit team that goes around and kind of takes care of different issues with terrorist organizations. But then come to find out that she's actually infiltrated this group and she's a part of this secret organization called the charter i'm not i don't think i'm giving away too much as far as what you see in the trailer and all that along that and that kind of this malevolent group uh uh, that is able to kind of oversee and kind of kind of handle a lot of the justice even beyond kind of what you see in some of the major players as far as the CIA and the MI6 and others. And with this within it, they also have this device called the heart, which here this right kind of goes right to kind of what we're talking about with artificial intelligence that's kind of caused so much disruption around the world. But the heart actually connects in so many ways the internet and all of these different components as far as the information and the charter gives stone or or rachel stone the ability to be able to kind of go and kind of fight crime or evil around the world but then all of a sudden they realize that maybe there might be a problem within the organization itself and also within her team so it kind of adds a funny little twist that kind of adds a whole different level to heart of stone so now we've seen both of them so i'm kind of curious like does gal gadot i mean wonder woman is she the next action hero do you think yeah there's almost a little bit of the mission impossible in this too with the way they talk yeah. about the artificial intelligence and how it kind of affects these these things i think whenever i watch gal gadot in a movie that is not wonder woman like i even think of red notice something like that it feels like a movie that she's making on her day off like whether or not <laughs> whether or not that's good or bad i i absolutely think she's incredible you know in the movies that she does but they just always seem like these they they're way more like Let's just chill. Let's just get the job done. Let's tell this right. great story. We'll get back to Wonder Woman in a minute because right. she I think she proved with Wonder Woman just how much intensity and charisma and 
energy and, you know, commitment she could bring to a role. And of course, the sequences in that that require so much of the actors that are those like Marvel superheroes in everything else, she just breezes through it. Like she's doing incredible stunts and doing all of the things, but I'm like, we know you have more in you than like this movie is demanding. So I always feel like it's her getting to take a break. But I do think whether or not she could kind of be the face. An action film is taking a break, isn't it? (laughs) Well, right. Like it's so funny. But I think like whether or not she would really start up like a new franchise and be this kind of new action figure within it, I'm not sure because, I mean, Wonder Woman is always going to be sort of, that the hero that she is and the kind of superhero character that she plays, that will be what that is. So if she was to then go and make, you know, two or three more of these movies, great, but I don't know that it would have the same intensity to it and the same kind of identity for her as a character that Wonder Woman has had. But, you know, she's clearly having fun. She's clearly, you know, enjoying what she's doing and making it a great movie. But I don't know if this would spin off into some kind of major franchise. Yeah, I don't. I, the, the my challenge is, and this uh, I think this kind of goes to because I think what they did with Wonder Woman, and it, and it's it's unfortunate, but she's always going to be compared to that character almost in everything she does. But is that it's a well written character. It's a there's a depth to it. There's kind of all these different layers that they add in, and also there's a history of Wonder Woman. So people have lived with Wonder Woman for decades, right? Well, this is a new franchise. But I found that like with this film and this character, even beyond just Gal Gadot's performance, um, it wasn't as you're kind of relying on the coolness factor of kind of the AI and the heart and all that these different things that look very almost minority report, like how they're kind of operating it and everything, which is very cool. But most even some of her her care the characters like with mission impossible you love simon Pegg, you love all of these other characters because there's depth there's a relationship there's a rapport and all that sort of thing with this i, did, I just didn't really feel that i didn't really feel that there was really that much much about it kind of re- relying on gal gadot's charisma this kind of goes almost the antithesis of kind of what we were talking about with denzel washington where he just he just oozes with uh, charisma as he walks onto the screen gal gadot has it but I don't think they leaned into it enough. And then on top of it, I don't think they really wrote her character to have the the depth that we would really kind of buy into. So I, it was fine. It's fine as an action film, and it really has some interesting premises to it. Um, but in the end, it wasn't like when I'm like going, oh, man, this is just a great character. I want to see more about it. I yeah, but I wonder, for me, I think with some of these things, I can't quite put my finger on exactly what it is, but when a movie is made for Netflix and it's purely a streaming movie, mm, there, right. there tends to be something that feels a little bit thinner about it or more superficial maybe. Like you've got incredible actors in this. You've got a great story, but then it's not there's something in the way they make it where it's not for consumption on a big screen and with this sort of default epic sense that that can bring to something that makes right. it almost feel like something cheaper to consume. And I don't know if that's just a headspace thing around, oh, I can just watch this on the TV, whack it on, enjoy it, it's off. Sure. You don't have the the event feeling of like going to a movie and it being right there and we're sort of sinking our teeth into it. I wonder if the way we consume these kind of movies is diminishing a little bit of how much credibility or depth we take from them in terms of how in, engaged we're going to be in it. Like we don't right. – it's, it's, it's not – it doesn't require as much from us to be involved in it. So I don't know if we feel the same kind of relationship to characters 
when we only are introduced to them in that kind of format. Like it may not be true of all of them, but I've been noticing that lately where it's a made-for-Netflix movie just doesn't seem to have the same kind of bite to it as some of the big cinema releases. Yeah, well, I, I think that that's true. I think that they're made when they're made for the big screen, and when you see them on the big screen, you have an immersive experience. You're there. You're you've committed to being in this room, right? While when it's on Netflix or streaming, you might be watching on your phone, you might be watching on your tablet, your computer, wherever, and you or you may not even watch it all at the same time. So you're kind of breaking it up, and so it's even hard to kind of even get into it then. So I think that there's a a practical. Um, thing to what you're saying as far as an element of what you're kind of bringing out as far as being able to connect with the character. But then on top of it, I, 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 they do it every once in a while on Netflix. I mean, and obviously even Apple, I mean, they won the, the Academy road award with Coda, you know I mean? So there are those that do come through steam streaming services that are of quality, Yeah. but unfortunately I think that sometimes they don't as, invest as much into the quality of writing um, opposed to just going, hey, we got a great cast. We've got a really kind of cool premise. We'll have some great fight scenes, and I'm sure everyone will want to watch it. And I think that that's fine as far as from a consumer standpoint, but as far as from an artistic standpoint, I think it definitely is lacking. And I, I don't necessarily think they got the most out of all of their characters. In this. Yeah. Well, and certainly something being streamed doesn't take away from how powerful the story can be. Like I'm so with you on something like Coda or like the, the ability of a character to communicate an idea or a message that's valuable, that's absolutely there. Like the platform isn't necessarily going to steal from that. But I do think there's maybe an inherent approach that says like let's just get this out, let's just tell this story, let's just put this out here. Like you're filling, you're filling a content void and maybe yeah. the need to fill the content void is taking away from the intentionality behind each element of it maybe. But I actually thought this movie brought up some pretty good ideas. For instance, even with um, Gal Gadot's character, at the beginning you've got people completely underestimating her and what she's capable of and assuming certain things about her based on certain pieces of information they have but they don't have the whole story. And I thought that was something that they didn't they didn't go into it in any huge way necessarily but to to kind of make us think who are the people that we're underestimating what are people capable of that maybe we don't see and even for ourselves the ways that we can limit ourselves based on certain responsibilities we are or aren't given and yet there's so much more to us than people may assume in the context of yeah. this story it's for reasons but I that to me stood out as something worth taking away from it at least Oh yeah. Well, and also just showing to the even just the simplicity of that it's a broken world and uh, that even though you want to trust in all of your say leaders and all the things that you're a part of that unfortunately we are human and so there's a humanity aspect to it that sometimes you have to kind of go through and knowing who you can trust. So I think that there is a a discussion to be had that kind of goes beyond this film that I, I think it's still you know definitely worth it's it's entertaining. Don't get me wrong. I mean I think it's entertaining, but maybe in comparison to say like a Assault or a Mad Max Fury Road or something like that that had a really great female led um, kind of action hero in it that I actually it's kind of hoping I can't wait till they actually come out with the sequel to either of those um uh it, 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 while this one yeah it kind of left me wanting I, I guess I want to say and I didn't necessarily think this was the greatest of films but it was okay it was kind of there it really it really does make me think of red notice like you've got all yeah, of the totally. you've got all of the names and all of the bigness and all of the everything that comes around that but then you watch the movie and you yeah 
Yeah, like it's it's yeah. sort of it doesn't. I'm I'm not going to think about this movie now. Like I've <laughs> I've watched it. We've talked about it. That's it done. Like I probably won't that's think it. about it again. You know, yeah, that's right. That's so true. That's yeah. So true. Well, cool. Well, hey, um, before we go, we've only we have a few more minutes left, and and this uh, we're going to talk about something that's kind of outside of um kind of the films that we usually talk about, but one that will have an impact, especially over the next few months and even into the next few years, I think, and that would be the writer strike, writers and actors strike that's going on, and um, it's been going on. I mean. I mean, actually, they've gone well past the 100 days. I mean, it is it has gone longer than the last strike that they had. And it's going to have, it's start already, to, you see it in television. You're starting to see it, the impact that it's having um, across the entertainment industry. Some people might go, oh, well, you know, what's, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't impact me too much. But yeah. I have a feeling it's going to start to impact people more and more as we, especially now we're starting to see films like Dune 2 and others getting pushed into next year and other because they not only can't be working on the productions, but they can't even be promoting these productions no. to a degree, even though there's some rules being kind of pushed to the edge of the limit with several, some of the independent films and things. So kind of curious what your thoughts are real quick. I mean, the impact that it's having and what you're kind of hearing through the rumor mill, as they say, yeah, well, up to the writer's strike. I wanted to see where this was all, all up to because there certainly is an impact when uh, actors and uh, those involved can't promote a movie, you suddenly go, all right, well, if we can't talk about this movie, how do we make sure right. that it does well? There's Australian movies that have been pushed back because of this. At the, at the heart of it, one of the big things that the actors, the writers are trying to get is some kind of residual payment, a form of royalty from right. streaming platforms especially for the ongoing exposure that shows they've worked on uh, are having, right? So if you did, particularly there's been some of the cast from Breaking Bad or Gilmore Girls, other like that, whereas like these were made many, many years ago before the current context of distribution existed. These right. actors are still seeing their work, you know, put on these platforms. The big distributors, the big streaming platforms are making profit off the fact that those shows are there, and yet the people that actually made them aren't getting any kind of compensation for that. And then you've got the addition of AI technology, which in so mm. many ways we're not even, I don't think we fully comprehend yet how that can be applied to the creative industries. But when an actor thinks that maybe their image is going to be used in a way that they don't have complete control over, they've essentially got to sign their image and likeness over to these companies. You want to know what that's going to mean and the kind of compensation that you're going to get. And I've been, I'm looking for a photo for you because I was recently in the UK and I walked, so we went to Cambridge um, or right. like in uh, England and we were walking. You, know, you sound so educated. I sound so we're educated. In we're into Cambridge. We're in and I tell you what, it feels like a very elite <laughs> part of the world. I would tell you that sure. much. I did not feel like I was in any way smart enough to be there. Um, but essentially this picture, it was speaking about, so we walked past, we walked past a, um, a show that was being filmed and we didn't realize what was going on. We kind of just found ourselves down this cobblestone sure. pathway. There was a filming notice for people just walking on the sidewalk. Let me tell you what it said. So this was the consent that we as random strangers had to give over by walking through this oh area. In okay. So it says, by continuing into the designated area, we consent to being recorded in the filming, give each and every consent and waiver required by the company at law to incorporate any resultant recording into the program in which we may appear in vision and or sound, <laughs> we agree that the company shall acquire the right to use and license others to edit, distribute and exploit any such recording in all media now known or yet to be invented throughout the world in perpetuity in each case without liability to you. 
Oh my whoa, goodness. Whoa. Like this was just by walking in, you've just signed a contract. Fully, it's, it's, like, the wow. line that got me is that they can distribute or exploit it in any media now or not yet known around the world, the world. forever. Like <laughs> I read that as a random stranger and I thought if sure. this is what we have to sign over to, imagine if you're in an industry, like this is your industry that you're meant to right. get paid for. And I don't know if what I saw on this sign is at all in the contracts of, you know, actors and producers and the like, but this sure. is the connection that I'm drawing between the two where there is such legitimacy for the need for there to be some kind of compensation, especially for the people that work in those industries, if right. they're having to give over even like 10% of what we as strangers just had to give over walking through this, you know, suburb, I would hope that this writer strike results in some kind of agreement because depending who you talk to and what you read, it doesn't seem like it's slowing down anytime soon. Like Adam no. Driver at the Venice Film Festival he was promoting his film Ferrari. They s somehow found a way that he was allowed to at least do that to a degree. Mm. And he was asked about the whole strike. And he said that what he's been finding is that some of the smaller independent distributors, the smaller companies, they're able to meet the requests of the different actors, et cetera, involved. It's the bigger companies and the larger kind of ones that aren't. And you think, shouldn't you guys be able to meet these demands given you've got exactly. the backing, the money, the power? So I'm not sure where it's going to go or how long it's going to take, but you will. I think we will start to see the, the releases available to us thin out a little bit unless they start to make some changes because who's going to want to release a movie they can't promote Exactly. And lose that kind of exposure, I guess. Yeah, because it's already happening. I mean, you can see even the impact of, like, say, some of the films like Blue Beetle and all those that had no one out to promote it. And so it just really, I think it does suffer in that way. And so it does definitely be one of those things where you guys are impacting everybody's income um, up to a, a certain degree. And, and and also just even giving us opportunity to be entertained, be it on television or be it in the in the cinemas. Um, so it'll be, we're hoping that it actually comes to, that, that I feel like both sides are are softening last few um, interviews I've read that, you know, they're finally starting to come to the table, but it, I think that there's still quite a bit of hubris that they're going to have to kind of work through as well as you really can't predict. I mean, it is a different industry. I mean, like you're saying with Gilmore, when Gilmore girls was made, it's a different time than now. And even how they're making films, they're not making a hundred episodes. They're making 10, you know? And so it's just a different uh, model. It's a different way of doing it. So both sides are going to have to come to the table. So it'll be fascinating to see. We'll have to keep an eye on it over the next few um, months, just to hopefully it's over in the next few months. So, but uh, Hey, but thanks for, thanks for your insights, especially that, that sign. Oh my gosh. And you know what's so. so funny? The sign was at the end of the footpath. So we had already, we'd already walked down this lane. We'd already gone, oh, what are they filming over there? And then we saw the sign at the end. And I was like, well, I've already just given over my face and identity to you, apparently. I didn't even know I just did that in the last 20 meters. Like it was exactly placement of the sign probably could have been better. <laughs> but I was like, Maybe. okay, cool. So if you see CGI, AI, animated Laura anywhere, you'll now know why. Exactly. Well, yeah, it actually reminds me that the television show um, Joan is Awful on Netflix. That's definitely worthwhile. Kind of, you have to make sure when you're signing off on your those uh, terms and conditions that you really know what you're signing off for. Oh, read so. the fine print on everything. If that's yeah, not a life lesson the at the print. end of this podcast. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, hey, we've come to the end of the watch list. So uh, just real quick. So Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I definitely put on the watch list um, for this week. So Equalizer 3, the Equalizer 3, what did you, would you put that on your watch list, Laura? Watch list with a warning about violence. 
So okay, it's a good yeah. movie, but it is a very violent one. I my I will pretty much put the same asterisk next to it. It said definitely a lot of a lot of violence, but if you've enjoyed this franchise, this is probably one of the best ones. So I definitely would say this is the watch list for those who love this sort of film. And then Heart of Stone. Oh, it's hard to say go and watch it after saying that it's rather forgettable. But if you if you watch it, you're not wasting your time. You might just go, okay, cool, thanks. Yeah, exactly. He's probably not one you're going to go back and watch over and over again. No. But it's you know, if you enjoy Gal Gadot, um, you'll probably enjoy enjoy this film yeah. and maybe even kind of it's kind of like Mission Impossible Light. If yes, you want. So if you're looking for something of... reasonable to watch that's not going to be too chaotic or confronting and just ah, that's a nice one. Easy, the Hive Stone. Go. Fantastic. Well, thanks. Hey, Laura, it's so great having you back. And I can't wait to get into the next conversation next time. Make sure you subscribe today. Um, look, check out our videos on YouTube. Uh, we have the YouTube channel, also um, all of the reviews on Hope 103.2 and also Real Dialogue. Um, you can definitely find all the different reviews and discussions that we've had here today with all these films and more. And so we look forward to kind of spending some more time with you. Make sure you grab your popcorn, get your seat and get ready for the as we look at the film through the lens of faith on the watch list. Watch